Hello, beautiful humans, and welcome to the Bitcoin Stoa. On our 10th episode of School of Coin, Eddie and I are going to be covering FUD, which is an acronym for fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Current Moscow time is 2014 at 713-847. And as a reminder, the Bitcoin Stoa is a community-funded platform. So if you enjoy listening, you can support the project by sending some sats to the QR code on our homepage at bitcoinstoa.com. And you can also stream sats using something like the Breeze Wallet, which has a really badass podcast feature. At the end of the day, the best way of supporting this project, this content is by sharing it with others you know who might be curious to learn about Bitcoin. You can't force someone to learn about Bitcoin, but what you can do is harness their curiosity if they've indicated that they're curious about it. And that's really why Eddie and I are doing this. That's why the Stoa exists is as hopefully an unbiased resource that allows anyone at any level to start to understand Bitcoin. So with that said, let's dive into FUD. And we're going to take a bit of a different approach today. Um, instead of just dispelling FUD and specifically targeting certain types of FUD, um, you know, we will cover that a little bit, but we're going to really share our perspectives on how to diplomatically navigate conversations when we're faced with FUD. Because the more you're in the Bitcoin space, the more touch points you have with people who don't understand Bitcoin, the more signals you're going to get of the fear, uncertainty, and doubts that people might have, which causes them not to learn about Bitcoin. And so overcoming that requires us to be um, pretty good at the, the, the art of conversation. Um, and so, like I said, we're also going to cover some, some of the main types of FUD that people will, that will be on people's radar from a zoomed out lens. But why don't we start with... Um, let's just talk about like, what is FUD? And, and we already talked about what it actually means, but Eddie, if you were asked to explain like, what is FUD? How would you explain it? I think, you know, besides the generic like fear, uncertainty, doubt, like we could dive into the emotions part of that. And I think like, I'm, I'm actually pretty interested in that in, in itself, but I think like after, after, after working on this episode, really um, what is FUD to me? It's FUD is a tool uh, utilized by mainstream media or people with other interests um, that that spur inaction. And that's like my key word is it like causes, because this is something that happens to me all the time. And uh, it's like that FUD causes inaction. And that's, I think that that is almost purposeful. It causes you to, to me to not think too deeply into a subject or a subject matter. And that, again, could be based on the, like some of these negative emotions that are, you know, uh, associated with the topic. But I think it's really a tool utilized to, to uh, you know, dumb me down to make me not think about important topics that, that could potentially change my life, like Bitcoin. Yeah. And that FUD can be propagated by people on purpose, or it can also just be an internal thing, right? Like we, I think fundamentally fundamentally, <laughs> uh, fundamentally, I think FUD is just a lack of understanding, right? And, you know, I think lack of understanding almost can be compartmentalized in two categories. You have nescience, which is like not knowing with complete honesty. I just don't know about this. And so I'm nescient when it comes to this topic. And then you have ignorance, which is essentially, it's also lack of knowledge, but it's almost like a willful lack of knowledge. So if someone is nescient, they simply don't know. Uh, and I'll have a conversation with that person to find out like where they're at. If they're ignorant, it means that they do know, but they're choosing not to really engage with the knowledge or they're choosing to ignore something. And then people who are ignorant, I just don't typically have conversations with them because they've already made a judgment about something without even understanding it, or they just don't want to put in the work to understanding it. And so if the source of FUD is lack of understanding, the cure for FUD is understanding. And, you know, I think 
it's really fundamentally created by a lack of work to understand something, right? And perhaps that thing is not viewed as important enough or relevant enough for someone at that point in time to, to warrant the work required to understand it. And Bitcoin is this thing that requires a shitload of work, right? Like Sailor talks about like to truly understand Bitcoin, it's like a hundred to a thousand hours, somewhere in there it varies from person to person, but that's how much time you got to put into like truly focused work, which I think focused work alone, like deep work is very hard for people to engage with because we're training distraction all the time. That's kind of another topic, but I think humans have this deep programming to fear what we don't understand. And I think this is the, like, really the core root of where FUD comes from, right? Like if we're, if we're unfamiliar with something, it's evolutionarily beneficial to adopt a perspective of fear. And the fact that that could potentially be a threat, if you don't understand it, than it is to view it as a non-threat, right? Like the human who sees a hyena for the first time and treated it cautiously as a threat probably didn't get eaten by the hyena and pass on their genes. The human who just looked at the hyena was like, oh, that's cool. It's not, I don't view it as a threat, got eaten by the hyena. So I think we fundamentally, like really deep down in our, in our humanness have this tendency to fear the unknown. And the reality is, is that most people see Bitcoin as an unknown, right? So most people don't understand Bitcoin yet. Therefore, there is a lot of fear, uncertainty and doubt around Bitcoin. And like you mentioned, it's also used as a social tactic for by those people who are in control right now to demonize Bitcoin through misinformation, right? Like if you're stealing everyone's time all the time, you don't want people understanding that there exists a technology that can protect their time and remove your power. Like this is the, the crux of it, right? And so, you know, when cars first came out, there was a shitload of FUD, right? Most of it in hindsight was completely ridiculous. But at the time, nobody knew about this technology, right? Horses and carriages were familiar. Cars were these new, dirty, loud things that could kill you if you get run over by it. And so people were rightfully scared and skeptical of it. And now looking back, we say, well, yes, cars are dangerous, but the danger is worth the fact that it changes our lives and allows us to be more mobile. And so, yeah, it really is just about, we, we're scared of what we don't know. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. If we acknowledge that as the source of FUD, then the cure is just understanding. It's not constantly trying to butt heads with the FUD. It's really just like, okay, well, why does that person think that? And how can I give them the right path to access information to think better about it? And my final point here is like Bitcoin FUD will exist so long as there are people unwilling to put in the work to understand Bitcoin, which means it will always exist to varying extents. I think the key is making sure that the average person who's honestly curious about Bitcoin doesn't get captured by misinformation that sort of instigates FUD. Um, yeah. Yeah. I really like those thoughts. I, I can't help, but, uh, keep thinking cause you know, a lot of these, and, and really it's kind of my own personal experience and, and I guess I'll just take time to, to really kind of explain myself and I'll back up a little bit further, but being able to like hold process. Up, hold up, hold up. You cut out for one sec. You said you ended with personal experience and then you said, so I'll take some time and then go. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to wind back real quick and kind of explain a little bit about my, my own experience, kind of being able to identify FUD and kind of navigate it. And, and really, uh, you know, I, th I think it's so closely tied with the emotions and I kind of want to give a shout out to the foot collective real quick because being able to have the opportunity to get to know my body more. And I recommend this to anybody, you know, I mean, exercise or anything like that, eating healthy, um, health is wealth and being able to find health for me 
and get on that journey was allowing me to identify these negative emotions. You know, I would say that I not necessarily was swayed by persuaded by FUD, but I was I was generally affected by it quite negatively. I mean, a lot of it is negative emotion or you know, negative information. And a lot of it's untrue. And I think a lot of people can see right through that. But uh, I think being able to just kind of take a second to understand and really, you know, realize that it's like you said, Nick, it's, it's always going to be there and it's always out there. And so like, hopefully like we can bootstrap ourselves and everybody else with some good, like ammo on this episode to like navigate uh, all of the news out there and be able to like slowly, um, you know, form their own source, you know, this solid like source of light that they can follow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there, I think FUD is a really common thing in the world of health and sickness and disease as well, right? Like a disease is extremely scary if you're being captured by it and it's affecting you and you don't understand it. It's very scary. I remember when I was treating as a physical therapist, people will come in with knee pain, slight tangent, but I'll, I'll keep it brief. They come in with knee pain. It's very alarming to them. All of their day-to-day activities that they love to do, running, training, water skiing, whatever it is, they couldn't do. So this is like a big alarm for them. And they come in and they're extremely scared. They're extremely anxious. Uh, and they're doubting their ability to recover. Like they have literally injury foot. Um, and sometimes with those people, I would sense that they're like really scared or really anxious about this, the notion that they have a knee that's failing them from their perspective. And sometimes I wouldn't even do any work with them in terms of um, physical work. I would just literally sit down and explain to them what was going on, how the body heals, the fact that their body is resilient and it's self-organizing. And if they do the right things, they're going to be just fine. And just giving them an understanding, a broader context and some really important principles of healing made them way less scared. They were not scared to do anything. Now they did not have anxiety that they would never get back to, to running. And so sometimes literally just bridging an understanding gap can dispel so much of the FUD such that they're no longer in survival tunnel vision mode. And now they're like, okay, I can take a deep breath. I'm not as worried about this. And I think the same thing applies with Bitcoin in that someone who's very hesitant towards Bitcoin. And I have family members that, that were originally very hesitant. So I have like personal experience, like dealing with this and engaging in the judo conversation of bringing Bitcoin <laughs> up and being ridiculed and people say, reading off headlines and all that kind of shit. But as soon as you go from being defensive to, and, and uh, dismissive, being like, oh, fuck, you're just not going to put in the work. I don't want to talk to you. It was when I was curious and found more purpose in that, like, okay, I love this person. They're in my family. They're not understanding that they're getting robbed uh, through money creation. They seem to have a misunderstanding of Bitcoin. Instead of just dismissing them, I'm going to engage with curiosity and be like, well, what, why do you think that? Why don't you think Bitcoin's relevant for you? Why don't you see the problem that Bitcoin solves? And I just like, really, it was really more about being curious um, and helping dispel the FUD by bridging understanding gaps than it was about trying to, trying to dial in and get a shitload of data for each specific thing they said, because they were, they would not find a shortage of things to say that were shitty about Bitcoin because they didn't have the conviction to really believe that it, that it was a good thing. Um, and maybe this is a good place to talk about the fact that like, informed, rational, unbiased skepticism is really good. This is a really good thing. I, I think nobody should just accept Bitcoin at face value and put a shitload of their money into it. That is not a good thing. Um, and maybe I'll, I'll spin off like brief definitions of each of those, you know, informed, rational, unbiased skepticism. And then we can just unpack like why that's good, why it's important to acknowledge that it's good and 
you know, no, recognize that when people have skepticism, it's not a bad thing, but, but we have to make sure that it's pointed in the right direction. So informed means possessing, possessing knowledge of a particular subject. Rational means based on reason or logic. So following a process of logical inference to reach judgment. Unbiased means impartial or showing no prejudice. So not prejudging something before you understand it. And skepticism is really just a, an attitude of questioning, a mindset of doubting new information instead of blindly believing it with the intention of actually investigating and proving to yourself what the truth is. And so informed, rational, unbiased skepticism is a good thing when applied appropriately. But I think uninformed, irrational, biased skepticism, which would be the opposite, is what we often face. And so sort of what are your thoughts on um, skepticism? And, you know, I'm innately a skeptic, um, but I, as soon as I'm skeptical about something, I automatically go towards being more informed to make sure it's a, it's a rational skepticism. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, I would, I would agree too. Like, I, I would say that I've always kind of been like innately a skeptic. I like remember my mom always telling me like, you just were always like asking the question, like, why, like, why this, why this, you know, always asking for explanations. And I think that like kind of guided me to, you know, have my own like, uh, in, you know, decision and like logic and understanding of what was going on, on around me. But, you know, like with all this FUD that's going on, it's, it's like, you get lost all the time. And so some of my thoughts on, on healthy, informed, unbiased skepticism, I love all four of those words is like really, like, when do I, like, for me, like, these are questions that I ask myself, like, when do I know that I have the right information? And when do I know, like, when to take my own understanding and my own frameworks and, and take those into question or examine those? And then even further, do I know how to examine and, like, put my own understanding and frameworks into question? And so, you know, I think thinking about all these things is healthy, but more, you know, even more productive for me is to be able to, like, put myself out there and really start to, because like you said, just like the body, I think that it, you know, has like a natural ability to heal. I think that, um, you know, I've noticed that I generally have like this, this navigating, you know, this way where I'm navigating information and, and with that, that constant skeptic inside of me, I'm, I'm finding information that resonates with me. Um, but yeah, those are, those are kind of my thoughts. I think it's, it's, uh, it's a lot of like inner uh, introspection and a lot of being able to um, you know, be confident and find confidence, like within your like inner, inner light and, and how you're going to see the world. Really. It's like a lot of deep stuff. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and it's also work, right? Like, it's, yeah. um, I think skepticism has a close tie to curiosity too, right? The desire to constantly learn um, and just ask questions, right? Like everyone has to determine their own truth, but at the end of the day, there are objective truths where like, regardless of whether you think it's true or not, we've seen this to be objectively true in reality. I think some people are choosing to view life, not through reality, through maybe this, you know, virtual reality, which is often a mirage of actual reality and not connected to it necessarily. Um, and yeah, I think the, what we're trying to get across there is like skepticism is good, but you need to be able to have it be rational, unbiased and informed, right? I think informed is the big one there because it's easy to be a skeptic about something you don't know. Right. And that's like the, um, the ignorant parts, like you might be skeptical, skeptical about something you don't know, which means you're nesting. You just don't know. But if you don't take the next step to like actually try and be informed about it 
so that you have grounded skepticism, not just blind skepticism, um, then, then it kind of becomes a, a negative, right? Instead of skepticism being good, it goes from being something good where it guides learning to something bad. If it just is like blind dismissing, blindly dismissing something without actually putting in the work. So yeah, I think that's really important. And that kind of brings us sort of to the next point, which is proof of work, which is the concept, um, from Bitcoin, but, uh, I th- I'd like to apply it a little bit differently because this is something that I've started to do much more of, um, both when it comes to Bitcoin, people asking questions about Bitcoin or saying or making assertions about Bitcoin that I know to be false, and also people making assertions or saying things about health, right? Specifically, you know, like this procedure that we're all expected to get, and and sort of like asking people what their proof of work is. So, for example, someone brings up a piece of FUD: what uh, Bitcoin is going to take up all our energy? It's bad for the planet. I'll start by asking them, where did you hear that or read it? And what research did you do to actually inquire into that? Right. And if all they did was read a headline somewhere and that was the end, then there's no proof of work to really warrant me having a deep conversation because they're just not informed. And I think at the end of the day, what I've started to do to protect my energy is like, if someone wants to have a conversation, I need to be able to show, they need to be able to show some good faith in that they've done some research. Because if they're like literally just spitting off some stupid misinformed headline and expecting me to teach them why that's false, it's like, that's not really my job, right? Like everyone has to take some responsibility to learn. So if you've done no proof of work, I'm not really, I might point you in the right direction to learn, but I'm going to conserve my energy and not take it on myself to teach you everything that you haven't done any work to learn. And so, yeah, I think asking politely and curiously asking people what their proof of work is right? Someone saying, oh, well, you need to get this procedure because it's going to make us all healthier. It's like, where'd you hear that? What assumptions are you making? What research have you done? What's your proof of work? Here's mine, right? Review my proof of work so that you can determine based on the data, I know whether your perspective should still be the same. And if people are unwilling to put in the work to really understand something, then I'm unwilling to have a discussion with them because it's just going to sap away my energy. Um, What are your thoughts about asking people for their proof of work? Yeah, I think uh, I think it's a really direct way to to actually, like you said, Nick, put like put it into perspective and see how much research and how much understanding this person or group of people has about Bitcoin itself, really, um, because I've found it quite hard to engage in any conversation worthwhile. Um, yeah, like you said, if people are are using the uh, FUD narratives of bitcoin the f word -word. i hate the f word (laughs) but you know it's like i i think that it's um i think it's really good to to be able to point that out especially like for me like talking to my friends i think i probably don't do it enough but i think you know i i actually was you know having some lunch with a good friend yesterday and was able to have some good bitcoin conversation and we were able to talk about like you know where like where did you, where did we find this, this resources, you know, and where did we find our sources? Like when, when was this that we, you know, like when this article that I was reading, when was it, you know, and being able to even think about that for yourself, like do the proof of work yourself, you know, look at what you're reading, listen, you know, figure out what you're listening to, like, you know, uh, be able to like identify biases and in, in people's communication and, and messaging and things like that. It's, it all really comes with time, but you know, one of the most beneficial things for me in putting proof of work was just to follow uh, people that that uh, were uh, had negative opinions about Bitcoin and other things that I'm interested in. And I learn more. 
Mm-hmm. And it also, you know, I mean, sometimes my opinion has changed and sometimes my, my conviction is strengthened, you know? And so like all of that is encapsulated in proof of work. And like you said, uh, like being a skeptic or even better word, like being curious, like naturally curious about like, you know, it's not really a, 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 um, like an offensive thing, you know, to ask people like, well, where do you find this information? And, and, uh, you know, let's talk about it a little bit and, you know, maybe we can change some minds. It's, it's all about being curious, I think. Yeah. And it puts the responsibility back on them. I think instead of, um, trying to like figure out a way to dispel what they just said, it's like, have you taken responsibility for what you just said? Which also, and if they don't even know what that means, it's like, have you done deeper research than just reading a headline or a single article? And uh, I think that's really what proof of work gets. And the other thing too, is like, when you ask someone for the proof of work, they're like, what the fuck is proof of work? And then you can actually, it's like a little nugget that you can educate. Well, Bitcoin is a concept from Bitcoin. This is how it's used, blah, blah, blah. But what it means in this context is, have you actually done any meaningful research? Right. And it's like, share your proof of work, ask for their proof of work. If they get defensive that you ask them if they research further, then it's like probably not the right person to have a conversation with uh, right now. Like everyone's at different places. So And I think the last point before we get into some of the common FUD is this whole notion of being curious and not defensive, right? I can vividly remember multiple times where people approached me um, with an agenda to basically shit on Bitcoin. And times when I was triggered and I was just like, I don't care to fucking explain this to you. I just don't. You're not going to make it. Um, And it's easy. That was that's the easy path. Right. And it's really easy to write someone off. It's harder to be curious and ask them questions instead of getting defensive. It's harder to be, um, you know, like diplomatic when you speak about Bitcoin to people, like not turning them away and creating enemies, but actually feeling that it's so important for this individual um, to understand Bitcoin and not be someone who talks shit about it to other people that you're going to be the, you know, be the person who's more calm, collected in the face of confrontation and seek ways to sort of like find out where those assumptions were made. And just this whole notion of never wasting an opportunity to help someone understand Bitcoin, even if they have really bad views on it right now. um, I think that that comes through curiosity and through a recognition and sort of building self-awareness to like how, when and how you get defensive. Um, And even like the other day I was listening to yesterday um, I was telling you that my Saturdays now I call Saylor days and I just like soak in as much Michael Saylor as I can. And he, I listened to the John Vallis, this, their second podcast together. Um, and this whole concept of like, you know, I finally got clarity on what I want to do for the next five years in terms of what I'm calling, what I want to do. And, uh, this notion of becoming a Bitcoin diplomat came up, right? Like practicing the art of managing delicate situations and handling people um, productively, right. With good, with, uh, with good faith and, you know, having tact and helping to maintain essentially like the definition of a diplomat is helping to maintain political, economic, and social relations. And I think that applies to Bitcoin instead of being a diplomat for a nation or a country, you're, you're a diplomat for the nation of Bitcoin. Um, so yeah, I want to be, I want to spend the next five years becoming an effective Bitcoin diplomat. And really that requires you to be curious and not defensive when people approach you about Bitcoin. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, man, I think that's super badass and 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 inspiring, really. And and like the the only thing that I have to say is that like within the Bitcoin community, I have uh, I I have met so many people that are diplomatic in a way, like f- 
freely giving out information, helping, helping me shape my understanding of the world, not just about Bitcoin. And it's, it's very um, refreshing and enlightening and it inspires me. It makes me want to, it makes me want to engage with other people and it makes me want to learn more. It makes me excited about being smarter, being smart, you know, like just growing as much as I can, because when I listen to a lot of uh, thought leaders in Bitcoin today, I am just like blown away with their ability to communicate and their ability to work with, with all types of information and all types of FUD. And, and uh, generally like, you know, light dispels uh, all dark and all darkness. And I, and I wholly believe that like in being able to like have a conversation with anybody and, uh, and um, being able to spread that good news. I mean, I, I think it's just really great. And it just kind of encapsulates that curious and, uh, and um, I don't know, just intriguing nature that, that Bitcoin provides. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I had a uh, chat with Jeff Booth and he was talking about how like one of the most important things for Bitcoiners as we move forward is to really be um, accepting that people don't understand it, that people are scared, that people will demonize it. And it's just really making an extra effort to not get defensive and not be dismissive and to always lean in with some curiosity and some, you know, empathy for the fact that like, we were there at some point, probably, uh, even though we might not remember it vividly. And I think just remembering where you started allows you to really recalibrate the conversations you have. And so, um, yeah, that's something I want to work towards getting better at. And I think, you know, recording these episodes is a good exercise for both of us to really understand deeply the nuance. Like, I never thought I would dive so deep into the concept of FUD uh, beyond just like individual elements. But speaking of which, let's talk about some common fear, uncertainty, and doubt that exists. And on this episode page at bitcoinstore.com, you go to School of Coin, uh, episode 10. There's a link there, uh, endthefud.org. And it's like an insanely beautiful resource. Whoever put that together is awesome. And this is like a prime example of the Bitcoin community, just open sourcing, really good curation of resources. So a lot of these points were sort of pulled from there, but there's tons of articles. Um, if you have any fear, uncertainty, doubt about a certain topic, head there. But let's cover some of the main ones. And the first one is Bitcoin uses too much energy. What do you got to say about that? Yeah, this is a really good one. I think it's, it's really relevant um, in uh, today, like in today, 2021, about to be 2022. And um, I, think, I think that generally uh, uh, a lot of it has been dispelled. I, I, don't, I guess I don't hear too much of it nowadays. I'm sure that it's going to come back. And I, and I think that what I want to mention is after learning about, you know, I, I, I think number, numbers are numbing, so I'm not going to list out numbers, but I think it's like, if I, if I remember correctly, it's like a tenth of 1%. So Bitcoin consumes a tenth of 1% of all the energy that is, you know, all the energy that's used in the world and, on an annual basis. So if you really think about like that in that perspective, I don't need to go much further. If you can really just think about that perspective, it's a very small amount. And then, you know, with our past episodes and future episodes, like just the utility of Bitcoin itself, it, it seems to be like quite a, a no brainer, you know, that, um, but maybe not that, you know, that the utility just really speaks for itself, like as far as consuming the energy um, and uh, and on top of it, that that Bitcoin is a very green uh, and technology forward space, and it's continually moving 
in like more exponentially more in that direction. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, those are my thoughts. I I've read a lot of like, uh, you know, FUD articles about energy. And I think, uh, you know, one of the ones that I really like, uh, was, you know, you, we would hear like you, you, some, you, some senators in the United States say, Oh, you know, like Bitcoin, it consumed as much as much energy as Switzerland this year. And I was like, Hmm. Okay. I mean, yeah, that's a lot of energy. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, like, uh, and it's funny how we have no context for how much energy Switzerland uses. It's um, hilarious, man, it's, but it's, yeah. it's really funny. And I think like, I just, just for, uh, just, just because like the timing is right and it's December, um, the United States, you know, in America, um, annually Christmas light energy usage is just as much as annual energy usage for El Salvador or a country like Nigeria. And so like, just put that into perspective. I, I was just like, you know, you know, out of curiosity, like looking that up, like, you know, I wonder how much energy usage that uses and that, that actually uses as much as a country too. So, I mean, you know, Take that. Yeah, like sound, Take that sound money for humanity strikes me as more important than Christmas lights, but I could be <laughs> right. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I think like I, I, I put down three points and I was like, I'm, I'm just going to limit myself to three brief points. So the three that I had was number one, a really important truth, which I think most people who have energy FUD don't actually understand, which is that energy is abundant. And in a world dominated by technology, the marginal cost of energy production is trending towards zero. So we are moving towards free green energy and energy is not scarce, right? Um, and I think if you understand that as a foundational truth, then there's really not a lot of grounds to say, well, Bitcoin deserves or doesn't deserve to use energy because like it's everywhere. So it's, it's not like we're compromising anything else by using energy that's wasted. And, you know, I like what you said about numbers being numbing. I'm still going to say one number though, which is <laughs> Bitcoin, the entire Bitcoin network uses 0.3% of the world's wasted energy of energy that's produced, right. but can't be used. Right. And, you know, like, <clears throat> I think it's important to gain a global perspective and deeper understanding of energy dynamics. If you're ever going to talk about why Bitcoin uses too much energy, you should have a basic understanding of global energy dynamics. And if you do, you would never talk shit about Bitcoin using energy because, you know, I think... I think if we just teach people a basic understanding about energy, uh, it cures the fud about energy. And the last key point that I think is really important is until you understand how important a decentralized, global, engineered money is for humanity, you will never have a basis to justify the amount of energy Bitcoin uses, regardless of where that fits in the global spectrum. If you don't understand how important sound money for humanity is, you will have no basis to justify Bitcoin's energy use, regardless how much it uses. Right. And so I think that's the conviction of why of the problem Bitcoin solves and the importance of that problem needs to precede any uh, inquiry in, ter in terms of like how much energy Bitcoin uses. So those are my main points about energy. Um, let's talk about the FUD that people say often, which is that Bitcoin isn't backed by anything. And I'm going to start this off with a Parker Lewis quote, which is that, quote, Bitcoin is backed by the only thing that backs any form of money which is the credibility of its monetary properties, right? We covered these in episode three, things like scarcity, durability, divisibility, fungibility, portability. That's really what backs Bitcoin is its monetary principles. And that's the only thing that should back any form of money. And so I think that that is almost like a mic drop moment where that leads people into understanding, the, into understanding money and then into understanding how Bitcoin satisfies the properties of money and how the Bitcoin as a money compares to other forms of money. 
And so once you dive deeper, you kind of realize that, okay, Bitcoin is backed by sound monetary properties. Bitcoin, um, you know, like if you go even deeper, Bitcoin is backed specifically by energy, which carries an unforgeable costliness. Uh, it's also backed by mathematical engineered scarcity at the protocol level. Like these are really important things that we just don't have a context for because it's like, it's the first one. And so I don't blame people for not understanding that. You know, ironically, someone that says Bitcoin is not backed by anything knows nothing about the dynamics of how money, fiat money is created, which is like kind of weird, right? It's like, maybe you shouldn't just say something with confidence when you understand nothing about the circumstances around it. Um, and so people don't understand money at a fundamental level. Therefore, they don't understand how Bitcoin is backed by anything. Um, and once people become more literate in terms of money, I think the notion that Bitcoin isn't backed by anything kind of fizzles away pretty quick. So, yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And, uh, like <laughs> my three bullet points were like on Parker Lewis too. I think like, I recommend any of his articles to anybody. He's a really great, um, writer. He, he's very intelligent and a lot of it is uh, pretty complex for me, but I love diving into it. And it does like this, this piece of FUD really is quite complex because you do have to touch a quite a few, like quite a few points in Bitcoin and, and, you know, you're talking about the fundamentals and you're talking about the energy. And, and the only thing that, that I really want to mention, I think it is that, um, energy expenditure. I really like this quote, energy expenditure is the tie between the real world and the digital world. So like, I, I, that just gives me a lot of like comfort in this FUD because I, I realized that energy is very important. And like you said, Nick, energy is very abundant. It's really about like the way that we harness it and the way that we transport it. And um, I think that we, we talked about a lot of that uh, good information in our mining episode. If anybody didn't check that one out, I recommend uh, checking that out. But um, yeah, I mean, Bitcoin is, is backed by so many things uh, after you really dive down the rabbit hole deep enough that it's, it's uh, this is a really easy one to, to like really easy, uh, you know, monkey to get off your back um, yeah. because it just, it, it really um, is like the center of uh, like why we're all um, joining this network. Yes, I agree. It's mm -hmm. like a really nonsensical one it's like yeah. how do you say you know nothing about money without saying you know nothing about money so yeah. bitcoin's not back by anything and then it's like okay i'll curiously direct you to the right place to learn about money uh episode three school of coin i'm biased but it's pretty good i think i hope um let's talk about this one's a really quick one because it's really just a redirect bitcoin is slow and expensive but you would be surprised at some high level people or thought to be high level people like nassim taleb know nothing about lightning so if someone that says Bitcoin is slow and expensive, maybe five years ago, you could say that with some validity, right? Um, but people who say that should really just be directed to learn about the Lightning Network, right? I'm not going to teach you about it. Take some responsibility. Here's some good resources. Lightning is a layer two technology on top of Bitcoin, which solves the two problems, which, which existed in Bitcoin's earlier days, right? As, as time goes on, this technology gets better. This is how it works. We're not rushing it because it's really important, which means that changes take longer to happen because a lot more at stake than just like some shit dog coin, let's call it. I'm trying to not say shit coins because I think it's uh, it, it, like Altcoin. immediately Altcoin. <laughs> like a wall, a wall that comes up with anyone that has, and I get it, right? It's um, so I'm trying to catch myself there. If you catch me saying it and I don't, and I say it, <laughs> say like, 
Don't no, say that shit. Um, <laughs> but you know, earlier in the days, Bitcoin may have been slow compared to something like the Visa network. It may have been expensive compared to something like the Visa network, especially when there's, um, you know, when fees are high. But Lightning solves the speed and transaction cost problem. So it's like that's not really an argument anymore. Um, you know, making a transaction on Lightning is instant and relatively free. Um, and, and it's also final settlement, which people don't understand and we won't go too deeply into, but you know, when you make a visa transaction, it shows up on their ledger, but it's not final settlement. It's a credit instrument that might get settled months down the road. Um, so lightning does what visa does, but better with final settlement instead of credit. It's like pretty damn good. So, you know, if someone says Bitcoin's slow and expensive, like what, what are you saying to them? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, really it, it was kind of like a, like, I guess like the argument of like 2017 or, you know, and I wasn't even really around then. I'm just like looking at YouTube videos and stuff, but you always are like listening to debates and they're like, well, I'm not going to go buy uh, a coffee with my Bitcoin. But literally, you know, it's 2021 people are buying coffees with their Bitcoin with a fee that is like so tiny that, that it's, it's like, you know, you can't, it's minuscule, you know? So those types of things um, like, especially like the, the slow and expensive, um, but it's like, it, yeah, it's it, well, it's just not the case anymore. And with, and uh, you know, as they say, like with, with Bitcoin, like um, which is, you know, why a lot of these like, altcoins were created is because the it's slow and steady and uh the development of bitcoin you know and so these types of things are not going to be um uh you know crash and burn and and you know uh they, they need to be very methodical and well thought out and so like something like the night lightning network is uh is really amazing um for like for any of those types of arguments or any of the utilities of like a lot of coins that were created because of that FUD, um, I think, which is really cool, you know, because um, I think that in the future, it's it's just going to continue. I, I remember um, somebody on Twitter I was following was saying, you know, like anything that uh, is built, you know, anything that is built on Ethereum or, you know, like uh, any other uh, coin, you know, anything that's experimented on is going to eventually get brought over to Bitcoin, like the utility. Yeah. And I was like, that's, it's so true. Like it, it's, it's just kind of like the sandbox playground for the software. And then eventually it's going to be integrated with the, the Bitcoin core network. So I think it's really cool. Yeah. And that, that actually makes me glad that the, I mean, I'm ambivalent, right? Because it's like, okay, <laughs> I'd rather Ethereum work a bunch of shit out and we can watch, we can watch someone, you know, it's like watching the Wright brothers never get lift off. It's like, okay, well now we know what not to do. So thank you for showing that, um, you know, shitty that a bunch of people also get kind of swept into that, that would probably yeah. rather, and will likely eventually find Bitcoin. But, but yeah, I think the low time preference, uh, is this beautiful thing, right? Like, um, you know, all the fast and free altcoins got swallowed by lightning. Uh, a lot of the smart contracts platform will get swallowed by something like liquid. Um, you know, like eventually it's just a matter of time, right? Like this is constantly getting worked on by the smartest and the largest group of smart people on the planet. Like I'm okay if it takes a bit more time, right? Uh, I'd rather take, have someone take a bit more time to build my car than have it be built in half the amount of time and the wheels fall off and the car explode. Like that, you know, it's important that it's done well. And I think this is fundamentally pe something people don't understand, especially who vouch for uh, altcoins where it's like, 
the problem you're claiming to solve is being solved right now by the best version of a cryptocurrency. So just FYI, mm-hmm. talk to you in a couple of years and then we'll have the conversation again. Um, okay. The next one, this, and this is, I mean, kind of related, but the, the argument that like Bitcoin is like my, my space and will be replaced. What do you tell people that bring that up? Because, you know, I have one line for this because I really don't see it as like a big, um, as it's a pretty simple one to dispel in my opinion, but when someone says, yeah, Bitcoin's like MySpace, I was too late. I'm going to wait till the next, the next one that replaces Bitcoin comes out and try and get in earlier. What do you say to that person? Oh man. Um, I, I, I would just say it's, you're still early. Um, it's not, it's, you're not too late because, um, dude, like this one, I, I don't know why it's like the dagger to like my heart, like for Bitcoin FUD. Cause like, I love MySpace, like, to be honest, you know, so just my, me personally, you know, it <laughs> it's was almost like, like, there's only a certain generation that can say that. Cause like, I don't, I don't have much <laughs> context for MySpace. And it's like a tiny slice of humans, a certain generation that was exposed to MySpace can relate to that. But like, yeah. my parents don't know what MySpace is. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was tragic, you know? And so I think like for anybody, you know, in my generation um, that has that, you know, nostalgia about MySpace, like just don't worry about it. You're still early. Um, that's all I would say because like the, yeah, like the fear of missing out is, is another main reason why all of these crazy named cryptocurrency coins are coming out this year. It's like, it's crazy. And so I, I personally think that that is like a pretty tough one, but it's also easy to dispel. Um, because, uh, yeah, I mean, for, for many different reasons, you, you know, you're, everyone is still early, we're still early. So that's what I would say now. Yeah, and I, I just anchor back to the fact that the, the fundamental innovation of Bitcoin is digital scarcity and digital scarcity is a discovery. And so waiting for the next Bitcoin to be created so you can buy it when it's cheap is like waiting for the next North America to be discovered so you can be the first to build on it. It's like they're discoveries. They only happen once. That's the definition of discovery. So, you know, if you can wait, if you want to wait to find another North America, go for it. If you want to wait till the next Bitcoin comes out, go for it. But you might be waiting a long time and you should probably learn about this one for the time being. So that's my, you know, I just anchored down that the it's a discovery, not an invention. Discoveries happen once. The discovery was digital scarcity. So, yeah, I, I really like that one too. I think it's a really good reminder that, that, you know, um, it, 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 it was, it was the one that came first. It was a discovery and, and it's and really like just putting a distinction between those two. I think it's, that is a really good point. I, I love that. And it allows the person to inquire further to be like, okay, well, what is the definition? How is it a discovery? What is digital scarcity? You know, like it invites further understanding, which I think allows them to dispel their own FUD. Because let's be real, you can't dispel anyone's FUD. Only they can dispel it for themselves. You can yep. only guide them in the right direction to the information that cures the FUD. Um, Bitcoin is for criminals. This one is classic. You know, it's not really talked about as much now. I think people are more reasonable. <clears throat> it's perhaps the silliest one. Like saying that Bitcoin is for criminals is like, you know, it's like criminals use technology. This is, they're just like normal people. They do something extra risky. So they adopt better technology sooner than everyone else. They use cars as getaway vehicles. They use computers to hack people. They use shoes when they're running. We're not going to ban vehicles, computers, and shoes because criminals use them, right? For every one criminal that uses shoes, there's a million people that use the shoes for good reasons. And so, you know, I think that a, a fact that no one talks about is the fact that the vast majority of crime happens with fiat. 
No one talks about that. It's very weird. Uh, you know, I would argue that fiat is for criminals more so, right? The government is the largest corporation that has a monopoly on crime. Their most heinous one is time theft through money creation. So like literally fiat is stealing your time and stealing. So it's, it's, it's built by criminals to do criminal things without you ever realizing that what they're doing is criminal. So that may be a little bit more excessive, but yeah. What do you tell someone that says Bitcoin's for criminals? Yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I haven't had anybody say that to me. I think like the, the, well, I'm sure somebody said that to me. I think like the first thing that I'll usually say is like, well, you know, you probably, you probably, and I'm, 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 you know, just guessing, but, you know, do you think, you know, that, that assumption that Bitcoin is like, um, fully anonymous, fully private, you know, it's like that, like perfect money to, you know, it's like cash, um, is like that, that, uh, mistake, you know, that thought mistake, but, um, I tell people, yeah, like it's actually Bitcoin is really, tra- it's actually very traceable and it's very transparent. And there are computers and, and technology out there that knows how to like crawl the blockchain and understand those transactions. And one of the like statistics that I really liked, which was actually from like Fidelity. So like, a, you know, like a, a, a gigantic company. Uh, and, a more you know, reputable source than just like Jim Bob on uh, Dogcoin. <laughs> Which I, which I thought was kind of cool. It was like, okay, this is coming from Fidelity. So it was legit. It was coming out in 2021. And it said that, for, um, you know, again, it said that this is a very silly thought process, which I agree on. And it, it also said that for every dollar spent on Bitcoin in the darknet, at least $800 was laundered via cash. And, and so it's like, <laughs> it's right there, you know. So it's, uh, <laughs> I don't, yeah. nothing else to say. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well said. Uh, We've got two more. Next one is governments will ban Bitcoin. And this is something that is coming up more um, because it's almost like the FUD that you can't, it's like the ephemeral FUD that you can't dispel because it doesn't happen until it happens. And if it doesn't happen, people say it's about to happen. And so this is, I find this is a really interesting one. Um, First, you know, I think saying that governments want to ban Bitcoin is an indirect way of saying Bitcoin works really well, right? Like that's a starting point. If it's worth banning, then it's doing something that governments are scared of. So like tuning into that signal, I think is important. Um, You know, if it works so well that it threatens the government's monopoly on money, then maybe it's worth an inquiry, right? Maybe it's worth a double back. Um, And, you know, I I think that the other flaw in people's thinking is is the thought that banning Bitcoin makes people not be able to have Bitcoin. And it's like, all you can do as a government is make Bitcoin harder to acquire by the people in your country. That's it. So it's just, you create a black market. The rest of the world's still going to use it. Um, look at China, right? It doesn't, Chinese people own Bitcoin. They're still acquiring Bitcoin. The government might not know about it and thinks that it's not happening, but it is. Um, and also, you know, if you actually inquire into like, what is the pulse of, for example, the US government and how they view Bitcoin, they're pretty friendly towards Bitcoin, right? They view it as property. They've been quite clear on that. Um, they view it as separate categorically than crypto which they view more as securities. So there is a regulation risk there, but Bitcoin is not viewed as a security. Bitcoin is viewed as a form of property. And so, you know, I often just look at what incentives would the government, do do governments have to ban Bitcoin? And there's more and more incentives for governments to form a good symbiosis with Bitcoin as Bitcoin becomes, gains more political capital, as it becomes more established in certain states. This is from a US perspective. 
Um, China, the Chinese government has a really obvious incentive to ban Bitcoin. They want utmost control of their people. Bitcoin is freedom technology. So it's clearly really against their China is incentivized to ban Bitcoin, whether or not they can do it in practice. They can say they do in theory. I mean, every time you ban Bitcoin after the first time is an admission you can't ban Bitcoin. And I think China's banned it like 10 times so far. So that's a something too. But what are your, when someone says, oh, the government's going to regulate it or ban it. Um, what are your thoughts on, yeah. uh, on facing that question? Well, I, I really like what you said there, Nick. And I think, you know, like this might go against like some of my general thinking, but like in some ways it, it might be good to listen to the government uh, because um, they obviously have made a big distinction between Bitcoin and all these other altcoins as securities. So it's like, if there's already a huge distinction between them two, then you should already realize that, that they're, they're actually quite different. And I just, in my, in my head, when you meant that, uh, when you brought that up, I was like, I think that's just a great idea. It's like, yeah, like they obviously know that it's different. And so everybody else should know that too. <laughs> yeah. And, and get rid of a lot of the fear that they're going to ban it away. Cause it's not, it's simply not in their interest to do that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And, and like, for me, like really, I just like to look at the history and like you said, like, I don't know how many times um, China has uh, has banned and clamped down on Bitcoin. Um, you know, like I know the U.S. is friendly with it, but you hear a lot of like different uh, calling for bans and restrictions and regulations. And, and, and that causes a lot of scare uh, with a lot of people. And um, even India, I think, like earlier this year was like going through this like you know, like, oh, we're going to ban it. No, we're not. I, I, you know, and, and doing something like that. And I think they're, you know, I, it, and so I think for me, it's like, look at the history, look at what's happened. And all these things are like attacks on Bitcoin. Bitcoin prevails. It's still growing. And uh, I think I, I can't remember which podcast I heard this on, but um, I thought it was a really great, like, it, it gave me a lot of peace uh, when, it, when I thought, you know, when I'm, when I'm with all the like uh, existential or like you said, ephemeral, like, you know, no one knows what's going to happen. And especially for me, like I didn't know, you know, I don't know if the government's going to ban Bitcoin, but I do know that Bitcoin is open source code. And I do, you know, through this podcast, I found out that open source code is protected by the First Amendment. In the, uh, the first amendment in the United States, freedom of speech. And uh, so I thought that that was really cool. Like there was this um, really big case in 1996 where, where uh, you know, there was basically like this digital technology. And I think it was like a, a you know, a security to, to the government or something like that. And um, the person was releasing, you know, putting out the code probably on GitHub or something open source. And so uh, it was a really big case because the, the, the individual won the case and, uh, you know, backed on the first amendment. And so I'm like, yeah, like Bitcoin is open source. Everything is, is transparent and it's protected by freedom of speech in the United States. So that, that gives me a lot of like, uh, I don't know, comfort in terms of like the United States banning it. Yeah. And that, <clears throat> one thing I often ask people that are really belabor the point that, Oh, if it gets banned, it's going to all these things. It's like, how do you ban something you don't control? how do you do that? It's really hard. And so I just leave people with that and just let them kind of simmer in it because that's really, you know, that's really the crux of it is like, you can say you can ban anything, right? But can you actually do it in practice? Like, or do you have the capacity to execute a ban on something? And if you don't control it and 
it, the, the bias is towards individuals to make it really easy to defend and hard to attack. It's going to be real hard. So, so yeah, that, that's kind of like a moot point. This last one is one that I've been looking into more lately because a good, um, I wouldn't say a good friend. He's become a better friend. It, it was just a neighbor. I did a podcast with him. His name's Nick, uh, brought this up and I didn't really know how to answer it effectively. So I instantly went to kind of learn like, okay, I got to learn a little bit more about this so I can be more fluent um, in understanding what this risk is and how valid it is. And that is that quantum computer, quantum computing will threaten Bitcoin. And so one thing I thought of was like, how does it do that? Like what elements of Bitcoin does it actually, what vectors will it follow to try and attack Bitcoin or could it potentially attack Bitcoin? So I think a starting point to make it real simple is quantum computing essentially is insanely, is it is a quantum computer would be an insanely powerful computer, like orders of magnitude, better computing power than what we have now. And so the primary concern with quantum computing is that it basically breaks Bitcoin's cryptography. So it would allow someone to decrypt a private key using the public key, which is a big problem. Um, the other sort of main one that I came across was that quantum computing would significantly increase the mining difficulty. So it wouldn't change the amount of blocks mined per difficulty adjustment, but it would make mining much higher in difficulty and essentially give miners who are employing quantum computing a major advantage and perhaps a monopoly on Bitcoin mining. So those are the two big things. It breaks cryptography and it uh, provides an opportunity for monopoly where people who have access to quantum computing would have a significant advantage um, on mining. And so these are potential problems. I think every potential problem, I look at things through the lens of probabilities. So I, I choose, I, I will acknowledge every potential problem, but I'll also be uh, mindful to associate a probability with it. Um, and regardless of what probability you uh, ascribe to quantum computing threatening Bitcoin, I think the thing, the thing I back down, back, fall back on is that if quantum computing posed a threat to Bitcoin, new code would be released to patch the vulnerability, right? Like the, I think based on its track record, just like all previous threats, the Bitcoin immune system, which is the group of humans who are creating and evolving the code will engage reactively to solve the problem. So that's kind of, you know, I don't know what the probability is because I don't know how, like, how close are we to quantum computing? How likely is it that quantum computing could be easily applied to Bitcoin and at what scale? So, I, you know, there's a lot of uncertainties, but the probability is so low, I don't lean into it a huge amount. And I sort of like fall back on the fact that, you know, if we're, if we're saying something could happen, then I will on an equal basis say, well, this thing could also happen if that happened, which is that Bitcoin code would change to patch the vulnerability. So any thoughts on quantum computing and that sort of FUD? Yeah, that's one that I like really haven't looked into that much. And I think that like, you know, quite frankly, probably because there isn't that much like um, out there yet. But I think that it, it is something that causes a bit of uncertainty with me. And I think and maybe I can correct myself, uh, you know, if this is not a, like exactly true, but um, in the future, if anybody like knows better information, but I think like, uh, you know, as and like in a quick side point too, like, you know, even on the on the government's thing, like it would have probably been a lot easier for the government to do anything about Bitcoin, like, like, you know, in its like early stages um, of growth. But, you know, and, and then along with and then going back to the quantum computing thing, like I remember hearing somebody say, like, you know, as far as the energy and computer processing power, that is the, the Bitcoin network. It is, you know, larger, consuming more energy and more processing power than any any computer, any supercomputer, you know, so. Yeah. 
like being fortified, like the Bitcoin network is constantly being fortified and added to and growing and getting stronger. And so that, that gives me a bit of like, you know, confidence to fall back on and realizing that, you know, as technology grows, as quantum computing get, gets better, like so is Bitcoin. Bitcoin's getting a lot better. It's getting stronger. It's probably going to have faced many more, you know, attacks if we do reach like a point to where there are like quantum computing and like my mind can't even like fathom what the world would be like then, you know, but um, it's like, yeah, it's, I think it's, it's, it's good to, again, like fall back on some of the fundamentals, understand like that, like the way that Bitcoin was set up was to protect itself from a lot of the, like from a lot, from all different attack factor points. And, uh, you know, that is like, you know, the, the, um, these certain like attacks that would be, that would make sense through a, a smart computer. Yep. Agreed. Let's talk about three final points and then we'll wrap it up with a little bit of a summary. Uh, the three last points are critical thinking, energy conservation, and <clears throat> the skill of finding signal through noise. So let's talk about critical thinking first. And this is a really, you know, through the foot collective and the footner program, it's really about helping people explore their health through the process of thinking critically about the challenges you face and about the truths that you adopt. So I think critical thinking is like a really, it's been on my radar to really understand like, what does that actually mean? Because many definitions, it's a very complex um, and nuanced thing to define. But I think as a, as a superficial level, critical thinking is the analysis of facts to form of judgment. So the rational, skeptical, unbiased evaluation of evidence in order to form a judgment. Um, and I think that contrasts to really just accepting facts at face value, not doing any research, like not having any proof of work associated with adopting something as truth is the opposite of critical thinking. Critical thinking is like the logical, effortful inquiry into really analyzing everything having to do with this thing and then making a judgment based on the information you acquired. And, you know, it's a self-guided, self-disciplined way of thinking, which attempts to reason at the highest level of quality um, in a fair-minded way. And I think a really important thing with critical thinking is that it requires an awareness and understanding of our inherent flaws as humans, right? Like we have biases, we have flaws. If you understand the flaws and are self-aware of them, you can check them. If you don't understand them, then you're basically at the whims of the biases that you don't even recognize you have. And I think, um, you know, critical thinking is work. It's, this is like the take-home element, which is right now, there's no critical thinking happening with evaluating anything we're told. And I think a lot of people just don't have the bandwidth to engage or the tools. Like a lot of people don't know what critical thinking is. I think it's unsurprising that we're never taught critical thinking in school because the incentive is to make us not good thinkers so that we can't object to what we're told. Uh, And it's easier. It's also more convenient and less work to not critically think about something, right? And simply either dismiss it or accept it. Um, So what are your thoughts on critical thinking? Maybe like, you know, how has, as a foot nerd, you know, is critical thinking part of your health process? And how do you think of the concept of critical thinking? Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, I really like what you said there, Nick. Well said. Um, I, I think that critical thinking is such a like near and dear part to each and everybody's life, like my life, um, I know for sure, because, you know, and one of the reasons that I like personally that I joined the Foot Collective and like the reasons that I'm like here now and that I'm like talking about Bitcoin is like, I've had time to be able to like, honestly reflect on my current state. Um, 
And kind of like you said, like, you know, with, with having like knee problems and like kind of being beside yourself, like not really knowing what to do, not really having that ability to critically think and, and make those decisions. We kind of like put ourselves into that state. And um, so I think critical thinking is so important because for me, it helps, it helps me make the decisions that I know are important for me um, long-term and I think that, you know, it's like, I, I would love for it to be taught in school. I would love for it to be like taught, you know, to adults. I, I think like as humans, like we have this natural ability to be like observers and in that like respect, like we all have the ability to like take information and, um, uh, see it for what it is. Like you said, take it for, for face value and, and examine the facts and then make a decision. And, um, it is like really hard work, but, and it requires a lot of introspection and a lot of honesty, but it like, the reward is that like, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, it's like, it's like brain fog, you know, not being able to critically think and, uh, I've always, I always, when I, when I have had that brain fog, I always remember, you know, feeling that desire, um, to, to get back to that state of being able to, you know, think clearly and be able to make good, good, good decisions for myself. And then you kind of get on a roll with it. You know, I mean, it's like, uh, for me, like being able to critically think about my health has been able, has, has allowed me the like space really like in my mind to, to think about like all the other things that are important, uh, in my life. And, uh, it was, it, you know, I had a, I had a couple of years that I wasn't able to do that. So I think critical thinking is so important. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's really hard work, but it, it just is very, very, um, beneficial and rewarding in every aspect of your life. And like working through FUD and, and like on your Bitcoin journey, you're going to have like ups and downs and, and, uh, you know, being able to critically think and work through that is, is vital and it's going to get you really far. Yeah. And it's almost like the reward for the work of critical thinking is truth. And yeah. it's not to say you have to critically think about everything. I think that's a fundamental pro assumption that like a uh, miscategorization, I would maybe call it where it's like, you can't critically think about everything. It's like, well, no, you can't. And you, there is some it's like an art, right? Like we're trying to get through life without getting overwhelmed, but also making sure we're not fooling ourselves or being told things that are untrue that can negatively affect us. And so the art is determining which things are important enough to put energy and work into critically thinking about like health is pretty important. If you're told the wrong thing, or you believe the wrong person, you might have a consequence with your health. And so taking agency and, and essentially accepting responsibility for doing the work to figure out what the truth is when it comes to health is probably a good use of your energy, right? I think the money that you use is another one where it's good to accept responsibility and critically evaluate what you're told. I think as time goes on, you find people who you know are critical thinkers. And therefore, the more belief that you have that they critically appraise it and they have the information required to understand it, the more you can uh, listen to what they say without questioning every single thing, right? Like I trust that Michael Saylor is a critical thinker. Therefore, I believe a lot of what he says because I know he's, information based and he has a systems perspective that is like insane and so i can not put everything he says through the ringer um you know i can 
I don't have to critically think about whether my car is built so that it doesn't fall apart. Or that I trust that I bought this for, there's rules in place to make sure cars aren't whack and, and they don't just fall apart at high speed. So it's like, you have to really, the art is choosing where you apply your critical thinking skills. Um, and making sure you're applying them to the right things and not applying them to things that don't require it. And I think that's really important, but just having a fundamental understanding of what critical thinking is and having that in your toolbox so you can bring it out when it's needed, I think is really important. And, and critical thinking is really a way to think, right? In school, we're taught what to think. You need to think this or memorize this, but they're not, we're never taught like, this is how you can think of evaluating things um, and evaluating whether things are true or not. So yeah, critical thinking is so freaking important. And I think it's huge in the Bitcoin community because it's, it aligns with this whole notion of taking responsibility um, for information and how you think and what you think. So let's talk about energy conservation. Cause I think this is an important one too. I found like in the past two years of my life, I found energy conservation. And it's funny because like everything's starting to kind of melt into this base term of energy conservation, right? Bitcoin is energy conservation applied to money. Health is energy conservation uh, of your like life energy. Um, and I think energy conservation to me means not getting distracted and not wasting time on unimportant things, unimportant conversations, uh, not getting, you know, like not engineering my life so that I don't get sucked into Instagram all the time is energy conservation. Cause that's sapping away energy that I could productively use to something else for something else. And I think energy closely tied with energy conservation is focused, right? Like concentrating your attention fully on one thing. Right? Like I focus purely on Bitcoin, purely on positive contribution. I don't get roped into shitty conversations that are unproductive. Um, and I think along with the conservation of energy and, and the topic of FUD is an important principle. And, I, and this is Brandolini's law, which is also known as the bullshit asymmetry principle. And basically Brandolini's law says that the amount of energy required to refute bullshit is an order of magnitude larger than, the, than what is needed to produce it right? So you have to put 10 times as much energy into dispelling some bullshit than the person who made that up has to put into creating it. And so there's always going to be this asymmetry where it's easy to create FUD. It's energy intensive to dispel it. The cool thing is that there's a shitload of Bitcoiners out there who find it worth the, who find the energy expenditure to be worth dispelling the FUD. And so you get, you know, endthefud.org sites like that, where that have just put everything together beautifully. And, um, yeah, I think everyone has to focus on, especially at times like this, where energy is just being pulled in multiple directions. Um, focusing on energy conservation to me is, is like insanely important. Um, how does energy conservation play a role in, in your life? And is it something you kind of think of? Yeah, it's, it's definitely something that I'm thinking of more and more nowadays. And um, I really like the way that you put it on like, on, on the crit critical thinking aspect. It's really like where you're, where you're, targeting your energy and it all kind of like relates together because like you know if you're allowing yourself space and allowing yourself time to focus on one thing um whatever that may be then uh you're gonna be you know that focus is gonna be enhanced and then the whole experience of being able to to work through those ideas and uh you know maybe have more of a critical thinking process in general um it's just going to be a lot more seamless. And I think um, for me, being able to have those tools, like being able to be aware and, and pull myself out of those situations or like those Twitter posts that, you know, are maybe getting negative and things like that. Like, like you said, I think it's really good to be able to like target your focus 
and then and then like harness your energy and like really be able to um see it like uh grow and like uh you know blossom because um yeah i mean uh it, it's really uh that's like to me it's like the key and like being able to learn and grow and to be able to change as a person is is being able to like kind of shed a lot of those beliefs and and for me like that has allowed me to that space you know to like minimizing my life and and minimizing my health and minimizing my finances like everything that i do to like the most basic and and the most like important things to me has allowed me to get that energy back you know and like harness that energy and then like not have so much going up here you know to be able to like place my focus on certain things like Bitcoin or my health and, and, uh, the like, yeah, when you're able to do that, the, the progress, it's just like mind blowing. I mean, it's unfathomable, like how quickly you can, um, develop like as a human. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool. I think it's a practice. I think energy yeah. conservation is a practice. Uh, focus and concentration is a practice that, you know, or, you need to practice it every day. And I like what you said there, but like, it's not about never getting roped into the black hole of Instagram. It's about being self-aware when you do get roped in and figuring out ways to, to like build up your self-defense, right. And create almost like rules that negate the need to constantly make all these decisions and constantly, you know, I think you can, it's possible to design a life such that you don't have a constant temptation every second that you have to fight. Because at the end of the day, we have a limited amount of energy. If like not going in, not getting sucked into Instagram requires energy because it's a very, it has a powerful pull. Well, if every time you do that, you're giving away a bit of your energy, you're not left with a whole lot at the end of the day. And so I think focus and like the alignment of your energy and being able to point full energy, like a laser beam. And that's why like laser eyes are a great, great way of looking at this, right? Like laser eyes mean we're looking at one thing, one thing only with full energy concentration. And that's it. And the other shit doesn't matter because this is what fixes all the other shit. And, um, you know, I think the only way that focus comes about is through clarity. You got to understand like what matters in order for you to focus on what matters. And I think the hard part for a lot of people is they don't have a lot of clarity on what matters to them. And the other thing too, is like focus involves trade-offs to focus on this one thing i must forfeit being able to pay attention to these other things and if you don't have a strong amount of clarity on what matters what your values are it's really hard to make a judgment of what matters and what doesn't therefore it's hard to focus and so um yeah i think that's just really important i think energy conservation is like this base law of physics that applies so much i'm seeing it in health much more now when i think about health where the conservation of energy just requires you to eliminate. If you eliminate a lot of what's diluting your energy, your body has more energy available to heal and recover and adapt. And so, you know, like do health is about doing less. It's not about doing more. It's not about adding extra things into your body. It's literally about eliminating the things that are causing you problems and the energy concentrates to be able to heal those things. Um, last thing to chat about, then we'll do a summary and we'll wrap up is this notion of being able to find signal through the noise. And the reality is, is that, you know, as time goes on, I've gotten way better at finding signal through noise, but I know in the early days, it was really hard to, to like parse that. Right. And so I think for me, it comes down to kind of three important points, get good at curating my resources. So the people who I give my attention to on Twitter or listening to podcasts or even in person, I make sure that those are, um, 
filled with signal and that there's a lot of elimination of noise. Uh, having a laser focus on Bitcoin for me is important because that allows me to really hone into the signal. Uh, creating a roster of what I would call elders of people who I know know their shit and are really have a well-rounded approach. So um, creating a roster of elders, I think is important. And the other thing too, is I think focusing on fundamentals when it comes to Bitcoin specifically. So if you know the fundamentals, it's way easier to distinguish signal from noise. If you don't understand the fundamentals, if you don't understand the base elements of this, it's really easy to not be able to distinguish bullshit from non-bullshit. And so focus on the fundamentals, focus on learning from Bitcoin only people who have a Bitcoin focus, curate your resources, put together your panel of elders that you learn from. And I think that really is a powerful way to, to find signal, um, to, to focus on signal and eliminate noise. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a really good plan. I, I, I have like a, a similar type of, uh, type of method, I guess, which to my madness, but I remember like, you know, in terms of Bitcoin, I think, uh, I don't remember, I don't remember like how I figured out that Twitter was like a good space to like, just kind of be like in the now, like as far as like get, getting that instant information and, you know, like I remember like, being, you know, starting to follow people and stuff like that. And like feeling like, huh, like, I don't know what I'm listening to. I don't know who is saying what and like who's what information is right, you know? And uh, so I just started following a bunch of people, but eventually like I started, like you said, like kind of crafting, finding these people or like quote unquote elders, you know, who would, uh, you know, for instance, like be working with, you know, with some FUD, some, somebody who's like criticizing Bitcoin and they're like, uh, well, they, they clearly don't understand this, like you said, this fundamental. And I'm like, oh, okay. Then I look into that a little bit. And I'd also like read the criticism and I'd read the article and I'm like, and now that I look back at it, I'm like, yeah, I was really just kind of like, it, it's, it's a, it's a little bit of like time. You got to spend the time to like do the, do the research and do the reading. But um, yeah, over time, you really like, for me, like now I, I know how to, I know how to spot FUD really quick. I know who to follow. And then I also like, can pick up on like on signal like easier like i can see i can find new people i'm like oh that's something like really interesting like this person is a specialist in energy or like this person is a specialist in uh you know what have you and i'm gonna follow them and uh like one of the cool things that i've uh utilized because like i i mean i can't remember the last time that i watched like mainstream media news and and you know like i catch radio news and, and stuff like that which i i would still I, I guess I would still consider mainstream media, but um, for me, like utilizing social media, especially Twitter and, and following like individuals, being able to identify individuals. And if I was following a company, like it, it's a company organization that I really, um, that have good values and they're typically like sharing really good information for me. But um, one, I guess one of the cool like things that I've really enjoyed lately uh, because I haven't watched mainstream media news and I like to know what's going on in the world and also in Bitcoin, like in real time is I, I, uh, I have like a list of my elders and I just, I have like, uh, you know, certain, um, people like on notifications, you know, like some, uh, people on Twitter, like will, uh, you know, use their platform to spread news and uh, so it's like, you know, I can follow people and uh, find out about things like in, in uh, that are going on in the world. And, and it's it's really cool. It makes me feel really good. And 
um, you know, obviously it's still a learning process for me. And, and I think that I'm always kind of like, you know, trimming the fat and, and, you know, um, thinking about who I want to follow and, and kind of like rethinking, you know, it, you know, is this person putting out the information that is, uh, serving me? Like, is this information that I'm reading that I'm spending my time reading, you know, is it just shit posts or is it like, which sometimes are good, you know? Um, sure. but, uh, it's not worth, all of my time. And so, um, yeah, like being able to find signal through the noise, it's like, yeah, signal and noise. Like I've really picked up on those two words, like the last year and, um, you know, like being in Bitcoin and also just utilizing like some of the, some of the social networks that we have. And of course the internet in, in today's day and age, it's just getting easier. Obviously there's going to be a ton more, uh, false information out there as well, but it's also getting easier, you know? So it also gives me like positivity and like hope and like optimism that, um, more people that felt like me who, you know, kind of didn't really have a signal, you know, it's like, what, what do I listen to? Like, you know, if I hear somebody talking, like I can generally kind of, uh, work through if it's going to benefit me, but it's nice to be able to have like my own little, like, newscast you know and i can like i can get that uh every day so yeah i think uh really doing putting in the work on the front end to to curate uh avoids a huge amount of work on the back end to decide what's noise and what isn't right like do work on the front end put more work there and you avoid a shitload of work um later on in making small decisions to evaluate information by just focusing on listening to people who create the best information. And it should be a dynamic process too, right? Like once in a while, I got to do a little Twitter cleansing uh, <laughs> yeah. where I might flag a couple words, you know, like every time the stock to flow model comes to a, a, a like threshold point, it's like the whole feed is dominated by S2F bullshit where yeah. it's like, it's not that important. So I'll go in and say like anything that says S2F gets blocked. And it's like, I just cleanse my Twitter feed. If I'm following people that are posting shit, I'll unfollow them. And it's like, treat it as a dynamic thing where the, the more you, uh, it's like cleaning your room, right? Like if you have a clean room, there's less clutter. You have more clarity. If you have a clean Twitter feed of just the best shit of the most potent signal, um, you have way more clarity and you don't have to worry about deciphering whether it's signal or noise, just follow the signal. And our, our hope with the Stoa is to create uh, signal right? Is to distill signal to put in, you know, you and I put in work before we record these to try and make it easy to understand and flow and only have signal. So hopefully we're doing an okay job of that. Uh, let's do a little summary and then we'll wrap it up. So just kind of what we covered today, the cure for FUD is understanding most fear, uncertainty, doubt st- stems from mis- from uh, lack of understanding. So I think knowing that gives you a different perspective when you're faced with FUD or when you detect FUD in yourself. Uh, informed, rational, unbiased skepticism is good. And the goal should be to become informed instead of, um, just ignoring something or dismissing it, uh, ask people who mention FUD or bring FUD to your attention to demonstrate their proof of work, ask them what research they've done, compare your research instead of getting defensive, uh, be curious, not defensive. You know, why does a person think that ask yourself that why do you, and even ask them explicitly, why do you think that? You know, you might know it's complete bullshit and, and nonsensical to say, but I think the harder part is to ask how they came to understand that because that allows you to be more gentle and curious and diplomatic, really. Um, we talked about some of the common FUD. We talked about this whole notion of becoming a Bitcoin diplomat, um, learning about and practicing critical thinking actively. 
conserving your energy by maintaining a focus on what matters and getting clarity on what matters so you can actually focus on those things. And then curating your resources wisely and choosing your elders and just really blocking out a lot of noise so that you can tune into the signal. I think that's kind of a decent summary for what we covered today. Um, anything to wrap up, Eddie, before we sign off? Yeah, I think this is a really fun episode. Um, and I, uh, I think, you know, for me, like the biggest lesson for me in, in working through FUD and finding my own signal is like the realization that everything comes back to me and that like I'm the final judgment. And uh, that feels really great. You know, it's a lot of it's a lot of fun to be able to realize that. And um, I'm constantly realizing it. And so I think that, yeah, like remembering that it always comes back to you and, uh, you know, follow your follow your true instinct and your true intuition and, and you're going to create your own signal um, through the noise. Um, yeah, was, this is a great one. You know, don't listen to FUD, everybody. Yeah. Evaluate the FUD, critically appraise it. And uh, yeah, <laughs> like once you take in enough signal, you can become part of the signal. Right. And yeah. I think that's really important is to, by not engaging with noise, you're actually removing yourself as a potential source of noise. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening to everyone. Thanks for taking responsibility for uh, understanding FUD, being able to better prepare yourself to um, have productive conversations with people who bring up FUD. Um, we'll see you at the store next time for, a com for our next conversation. And if you enjoy the content, you can support the project by going to bitcoinstoa.com and sending some sats to the QR code, or just sharing this episode uh, with people who you know might be uninterested in Bitcoin because of FUD and give them a broader perspective to think about FUD uh, and make their own sort of better decision when it comes to what the truth is. So uh, wishing you all a great day and ciao for now.